I believe that if we had ears to hear, we could hear the spirit, in the spirit, the sound of an abundance of a rain. There's rain coming. There's rain coming. Watch that movie yesterday that's in the movie theaters about the life of Chuck Smith and Greg Laurie. And the end scenes of these people coming to be baptized. And there was a scene of this big crusade that they did back in the 70s. Billy Graham was preaching. And there were these, it was literally a couple hundred, I think it was a couple hundred thousand hippies and young people, college students that had gathered together. Just this throng of people. And began to stir in me hope. And I just began to say, Lord, do it again. Do it again. Do it again, Lord. God desires to do it. I, I believe that we are on the cusp of the greatest awakening that we've ever seen on the planet. I believe that. I told you a few weeks ago the prophecy about how revival would start. This was a prophecy that I heard in 2018. In Kentucky, specifically, a Christian university would spread to other Christian universities, would spread to the secular colleges, and we're seeing that happening right now. I also heard a prophecy, a gal, gal named Donna Lanham. Probably don't know who she is. She's, she's the, uh, the sister to... Uh, Billy Wilson, who's the president of ORU. And we were with Donna. She's in Owensboro. And we were with her a year, uh, probably about three or four years ago. And she prophesied about the, the awakening that God was going to bring in America. And it was going to go, she, she prophesied, and I've heard this over and over again, that it was going to go along the Ohio River Valley. The churches and colleges and different places all along the, the Ohio River Valley we're going to experience the outpouring of God's Spirit. And it would start in the river and it would flow down into the Mississippi. And then it would spread all across this nation. I believe we're going to see that. We're singing about open heavens. Do you know where there's an open heaven? Where there's hungry people. That's where we find an open heaven. Church, we need to declutter. When will we see a revival? When grown adult Christians get tired of playing video games. When grown adult Christians get tired of being entertained. When we shut the television off. When we shut social media off. And we get into the presence of God. Now what Chronicles says, if my people who are called by my name will play video games or watch television or entertain themselves, no, if they'll humble themselves, pray, seek my face, I will hear, turn from their sins. I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. That's the promise of God's word. Well, that's specifically to Israel. Okay, well, Jeremiah says the exact same thing, and he says, if any nation 
Jeremiah says, does this. Same promise. Amen? The same promise. When God's people wake up, we'll see the move of God. I believe that. Church, it's time to position ourselves. We talked about prayer. We've talked about fasting. We're going to talk about time today and not time management. We're going to talk about the urgency of the purpose of God. Jesus lived with an urgency. We're going to talk about it here in just a minute. But the people of God, we, we need to live with urgency. Amen? Praise God. We're singing about an open heaven. May that be our prayer. Rachel, Rachel wrote a song. I'm not going to ask her to sing it, but she wrote a song a few years ago. It's been a long time ago now. It was when we were pastoring in Texas. We were in a drought. It gets very, very dry in Texas. You see the horses eating the last little bits of grass out of the dirt. Their nostrils blow in the dust as they nibble the last little bits of grass. It gets really, really dry down there. We were in the middle of like 60 days of 100 plus degree weather, no rain. And we, I received an email from local pastors. They were talking about how the farmers were hurting, how the ranchers were hurting. And the, the title of that, that email said, we need the rain. Re, Rachel read that over my shoulder as I was reading that email and she went down and sat and wrote that song about, we need the rain. Church, that needs to be our prayer. You look at what's moving through our nation in perversion, confusion, sinfulness. We have an epidemic of drug addiction, godlessness, a generation right now that's saying they don't want anything to do with God. We need rain. This is a dry and thirsty land. We need rain. Let that be our prayer. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. We're going to get ready to receive our offering. I'll ask our ushers to come. And I just want to say this. Our, our, our tithe, I want to just teach for a minute. Our, our tithe makes a declaration that says that everything that we have belongs to God. There are people today that are teaching that tithing is legalistic. It's really not. It's relationship and it's covenant. But before the law, in the garden, they were tithing. We see evidence of that. Before the law, Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. It's the principle. There are certain things that are just true, like gravity, inertia, the laws of nature. You go through all the laws of nature. Same thing with the laws of God. They're built into this universe, and they function the way that God intended them to function. And they're true whether we want to believe them or not. They're true. If I trip on these stairs, I'm going to fall on my face on the floor, whether I like that or not, right? God's, God's truth is truth, whether we like it or not. Whether we believe it or not, it's true. Amen? Tithing, we're saying with the tenth 
that the whole belongs to God. That everything that we have belongs to God. That's the declaration that we make. Tithing is a sign of covenant. It's a reminder of the blessing of God upon our life, the favor of God upon our life. That's what the tithe is about. I encourage everybody to tithe. Give 10% of all of your increase. Tithe. It's important. It's important. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, we thank you for the opportunity to give today. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your provision. We bless you. We honor you with our first fruits, with our tithe, with the offerings that we bring to you today. We bless you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. God bless you as you give. Talking about giving, I just want to give a, a quick update before I get into the word. I, I, I want to, you know, we, we went through challenges last year, um, summer through about September, and uh, we saw some financial challenges here as a church. We talked about that in October, and we, we have seen our church move, um, just step up, give generously, and it's been awesome to behold. It really has been cool to see what God has done, to see us growing as a church. And uh, I think for the last five weeks, we have probably seen the most consistent run that we've seen in a long, long time, like probably over a year. And I'm grateful for that. I think it's five, five weeks straight that we have met or exceeded what we need weekly uh, for our budget, and I'm grateful to see that. I'm grateful to see that kind of growth. And uh, we'll hear this later on in the message, but uh, just talking about giving in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11, Paul says, finish what you started. He said, you started out with generosity. Finish it. Don't quit. Don't quit. Evidently, the church of Corinthians had kind of shrunk back. And he said, hey, just finish what you started. So I, I, I'm encouraging you. Let's keep going. Amen. Let's keep going because it's good. I want to see the work of God go forward and flourish here. And I know you do too. And thank you for your generosity. Amen. Praise God. So I, I want to take just a second. I've got some friends in the building. And I, I saw that Francesca left. So Francesca, if you can hear me, it's time to come back. But uh, we, we have some dear friends of ours that, that are here. They're from Dallas, Texas. They, they uh, planted a church about four years ago in Cedar Hill, right before like the, probably the worst possible time in American history that you could start a church. It was the, like the year before all the COVID stuff started. But we watched them persevere and reach during COVID when they couldn't meet publicly, they, they as a church, reached their neighborhood and their community. It was tremendous to watch. They're doing a fabulous job uh, planting a church in Dallas, Texas uh, area, uh, Cedar Hill, it's South Dallas suburb. Uh, Ramiro, would, would you just come up here? I want everybody, I wish Francesca, because we really want to see Francesca more than we want to see Pastor Ramiro. <laughs> Pastor Ramiro, come on up here. I want Pastor Ramiro just to greet us, tell us a little bit about what's going on in Dallas, Texas. And uh, if you got the word of the Lord in your spirit, share it with us. Bless you, man. Good to see you. How's everybody doing? Good. That's the yellow mic. There's my wife there. As she's coming up, I don't know if you guys remember the last time I, I came here, I was at a conference. Francesca. And when I was here, um, the first thing that when I walked in the door, I was offended. So I'm, I'm confessing my, my sin to you guys. When I first walked in the door, uh, the lady was like, hey, I, I've been to Mexico. I was like, okay. She's like, I speak Spanish too. And so then they took us to a restaurant. It was Mexican food. And then we went to a house and we got Mexican enchiladas. So I guess they just saw Mexican all over my face. 
Um, and so I gave that testimony, and then um, I was eating with Pastor Chad and Rachel, and they were like, man, I didn't, I didn't know you were so funny. And I wasn't trying to be, but they were like, I didn't know you were so funny. Uh, you had to be like a stand-up comedian. So I didn't get you were more anointed, you know, a powerful word, a man of God, nothing like that. It was you should be a comedian. So that was my experience here. But no, we love you. We, we, lo- we love you guys, though. Um, in, in Dallas, in Cedar Hill, we started off in our house, um, in, in our living room, um, and we would have services in the driveway when uh, the pandemic hit. And we just kind of persevered through that. And God's just been opening up a lot of doors uh, for us to reach a lot of different people. Uh, even in our Bible studies, we got... Uh, we do it online, and when people log on, you know, there's a lot of people that were in jail. They're like, hey, I'm not going to be able to service today. I got parole, or I got, you know, I got to go check in with the, with, with the police or whatever. I don't even know. I've, I've never been in, in, in jail. So, um, but we've been reaching a lot of people. God has been growing the church. And I just want to say, as we were worshiping, I, I really just want to uh, encourage the church. Um, God is not through with the church yet. God is not through with the mission of the church um, and we need everybody, every labor from the eldest to the youngest. We need everybody uh, because there is an urgency to preach the gospel. There's an urgency to get the message across. And I want to encourage you guys to keep making disciples of all nations. Keep preaching the gospel. Um, we went to go see the ark and just looking at how big the ark was. And we're like, man, the patience of Moses, I mean of Noah to look, look at that. And take all those years to build that. He had to just trust God in his word and say, I'm going to keep building. It took years, but I'm going to keep building and just trusting in God's word that it was going to rain. And so it's the same with us. God's given this church a promise. And we got to keep building. Amen? Amen. All right. We're going to, amen. We're going to do something. We're going to pray for the Alvarados here in just a second. Um, it's important. They're, they're doing incredible work. Their church is flourishing. They're, they're reaching a lot of people down there, and uh, their church is growing. We're going to pray over them in just a second, but uh, I'm going to give them a chance to pray over us. I'm going to let Francesca pray over us as a church today. Thank you all so much for having us and allowing us to be here. Um, I just feel the presence of the Lord in this place. It gets me a little emotional. Um, I think, like my husband was saying, just the patience and the obedience of Noah just really blessed us seeing the ark and I just want to encourage you too, like just stay obedient. It's it's the obedience, like just staying obedient to what God's called you to do. Man, the, the rain's gonna come, <laughs> the flood's gonna come. And so I just wanna just pray over you today. Lord, I thank you so much, Father God, for this day that you've given us. God, just waking us up today shows your faithfulness and your grace and your mercy. God, and we honor you today, God. You're such a good father. You're such a good God to give us breath in our lungs, God, to wake up and to open our eyes. That shows your goodness over your people, God. And I thank you for this church, God. I see this church as a place of refuge, God, where those who are broken and hurting, God, all over this city, God, can run to refuge in this church, God. And I just pray, Father, for your people today. God, anybody who is discouraged, God, anybody who's lost vision, God, remind them today, God, that the vision stays true, that they can be consistent and disciplined and obedient to your word, God. 
the rain is going to come and they're going to look up and thank you that they stood the ground, God. And I pray, God, that your faith, God, would move, Lord Jesus, in your people, God. Let them rise up. Let them go out into the streets, God. Let them go out to speak to people, Lord God, as they're shopping for groceries, God. Give them divine appointments, God, to share the gospel of truth and hope and life, God. I pray for favor in this body, God. I pray your provision in this church, God, as they're obedient to your voice, God. You will bring the provision, God, to reach this community, God, and reach the nations, God. So I speak a blessing over your people, a blessing over their pastors today, God. Uh, Give them rest, God. Give them joy, God. Give them vision again, God. Let them see, Lord God, your faithfulness and the fruit of their prayers, the fruit of their obedience. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this place, and I just speak a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Thank you. Thank you. Why don't we go down here? Praise God. Amen. I felt that. Yeah, we're going to pray for you guys now. Amen. I received the prayer. Praise God. It's encouraging. I'm going to ask my wife to come. Uh, Sean and Kristen, why don't you guys come up here? going to pray over them. And in fact, anybody, we have, I know we have a lot of folks that love Dallas. So if you've got a burden for Dallas, I want you to come. Does anybody who wants to come stand behind them? And we're going to pray over them. Amen. Amen. Why don't you start praying and I'm going to Thank you, Father. The Lord is bringing oil to the plow. You've been asking the Lord, Father, the, the weight is heavy. The weight is heavy. There's been a season when you said, Lord, open the cave and let me hide in it like the kings from the south did and put the big stone over the front of it. But the Lord says, I come and I breathe upon your ministry. It is I that called you. Even the struggles that you've had in the past, the conflicts that you had to face head on, the Lord said, out of those conflicts, I was sharpening you. None of it was in vain. I've been orchestrating because your steps have been ordained by me. So the Lord says, I come by my spirit today and I am oiling. I'm oiling. I'm putting the oil on the plow. The the, the steadiness is coming. I'm bringing people of strength to you. I'm bringing Joshua's and I'm bringing Moses as well. I'm bringing the young and I'm bringing those with understanding. I'm bringing Aaron and Ur to lift up your hands when the battle gets heavy. That they're going to come in great strength and words of wisdom to encourage you. You've not seen anything yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing. Servant of the Lord, I'm placing a roar. I'm placing the lion in the inside. You're going to roar with the word of the Lord. That the assigned demonic attack against your city is going to tremble. So put your armor on and make sure it's on firm. Satan hates oil because it breaks the yoke of bondage. But I'm coming by my spirit and I'm breathing. I'm breathing on your marriage. I'm breathing on your daughters. I'm breathing on your children. I'm breathing on your children. I'm breathing on your children and on generations that are to come, says the Lord. Father, my, the, the favor of the Lord is upon them because you are taking territory. The lines have shifted and they have shifted. They're in my promise. They're in my word. I am establishing It's the word of the Lord that's been established. So generations ahead of you are going to be affected. And great fruit is your reward. Father, I thank you for your servants. I thank you for your handmaiden. Speak divine order over this body in the name of Jesus. Every cell, I command you to be in divine order in the name of Jesus. 
In the name of Jesus, great strength comes to you. Body, soul, and mind of strength. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. You said, Lord, can I, I can't smile anymore. It gets so burdensome. My jaw aches sometimes from smiling. The Lord said, I've come and I'm breathing strength upon you. Strength, strength, supernatural strength. You're going to be a woman that will stand and say, it wasn't by might and it wasn't by power, but it was by my, the spirit of the Lord. Because the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. Great strength in the name of Jesus. Great strength in the name of Jesus. The Lord's going to give you strategy and dreams. Strategy and dreams. Strategy and dreams. It's going to drive your husband crazy. But God's going to, I'm going to grant you great favor in your community. He's not going to know what to do with your energy. You're, you're an energized bunny in the kingdom of God. And God says, I'm coming. I'm bringing more. So get ready. Get ready. Learn to bask in my presence more than ever before. Bask in them. Stay there. Don't be settled with what you see and what you sense. So God say, I want more. I want more. I want you to be glutton with my presence. I want more and more and more and more. And the Lord says, I will perform my will. I will perform my word, says the Lord. Father, strengthen them. Strengthen them together. Father, I pray. In unity they walk, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for their church, their church people, God. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the disciples that you have sent them. Great things are yet still to come in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord's bringing you into a season of increase and multiplication, and he wants to undergird you. Father, in the name of Jesus, strengthen this couple, strengthen their marriage, strengthen their family. Lord, we pray for Hillside Church. You're raising up a team, Lord God. It's going to be sufficient for the harvest. Lord, send into their lives mentors, spiritual fathers and mothers, men and women of God who can speak into their lives, who can encourage them, who can be sounding boards and counselors. Father, just surround them. Keep them, sustain them, Lord God. Lord, we ask for multiplication. We ask for increase. Bring harvest, Lord God. Bring harvest into their church, Lord God. In Jesus' name, make them fruitful and make them to multiply. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. Amen and amen. Amen. Praise God. Rachel. Amen. So we, we love the Alvarados. They're friends of ours. And um, that's important. And I want to encourage you to, uh, let, let's, let's pray for them. If you want to know more about their church, it's called uh, Hillside. I almost said Cedar Hill, but it's Hillside Church in Cedar Hill, Texas. They're, they're on social media, so find them, look them up, you can keep up. And they, they've, they've done some incredible things. I could stand up here and tell stories about all the cool things that they've done over uh, this four or five year period to reach their community. They're doing great work. Keep up with them and pray for them, it's important. So, all right, let's get into the word of the Lord and we're gonna talk about the value of time today. How many of you learned the value of time this morning? We had a little, little bit of a harder time getting out of bed, anybody? So it's, it's time change Sunday, but this, this is not a, a message about time management. This is a message about the urgency 
of our hour. So let's look in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. While uh, Romero was speaking, I was reminded of the, the man who stood up and gave the word of prophecy. Thus say, you remember when the, the prophecies, you had to shout, speaking King James to prophesy? Thus says the Lord, as Moses was in the ark, so shall this people be. Be faithful to build the church. He sat down, and as he finished the prophecy, he got back up a few seconds later, and he said, Thus saith the Lord, I misspoke. It was Noah who built the ark. <laughs> All right. The value of time. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16 says that we should redeem the time because the days are evil. Redeem the time because the days are evil. I want to put that into some context. Uh, context is important as we study the Word of God. Here's, here's a little bit of an outline for the first part of the fifth chapter of Ephesians. And it would be this, walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. That would be a little bit of an outline for this, this passage of Scripture. Walk in love, walk in light, and walk in wisdom. I actually got that right out of the uh, version Bible, the New, New King James translation. is right there, the, the highlights of the sections. But the first section would be walk in love. And in Ephesians 5, 2, it says, walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And then in, in Ephesians 5, verse 8, it says that we should walk in light. It says, for uh, you were once in darkness, but now you are, uh, you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, it's talking about walking in wisdom. It says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as, not as fools, but as wise. So walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. So that's where the context, this verse, uh, chapter 5, verse uh, 16, where it says that we should redeem the time because the days are evil. When it's talking about redeeming the time, it's, it's, it's really talking about being wise with our time. Okay? So we're going to read a few verses here in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be, actually begin to read in, in verse 8 and read through 18 today. Or I'm sorry, through 21. Ephesians 5, 8 through 21. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is, the acceptab what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Man, I think that that just that we could I could preach a message on that this morning. That one verse, I just want to highlight it. That man, that is something that we as Christians need to hear today. We are talking about and rehearsing so freely, so many things that are shameful to speak of. We're we're using language that we shouldn't be using. And we're having conversations about things that we should not even be talking about. Look at this verse again. It is shameful 
even to speak of those things which are done by them in, speak, in secret. Let, let, let's be wise about what we're talking about. We, we don't have to describe the perverseness of the sexuality that's going on in the world. We don't, we don't have to talk about the lewd things. We don't have to rehearse them. We don't have to communicate them. In fact, it says here, I believe that it is shameful to discuss these things. Let, let's shine as light. Let, let's, let's be people who are declaring the testimonies of God. Amen? Just wanted to highlight that. That really is an important concept that I think today that we in the church need to grasp. There are just some things that we don't need to discuss. There's just some things we don't need to talk about. All right? Verse 13. All things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the, Lord, what, what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. All right. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. The value of time. I think that, that time is our most valuable commodity. Somebody said you can... You can run out of money, you can, you can blow all of your wealth and get it back. Many, many people have, have done that in life, blowing all your money, and there's, there's a way that you'll be able to get it back, right? Men have lost everything and then rebuilt their wealth. It's pretty common, right? In fact, some of the most successful people in the world have done that before, right? But when you blow all your time, you're out. It's gone. Right? They're, they're printing money. Right? But we're running out of time. It is the most valuable commodity that we have. And the Bible says that we should redeem it. What, is, what does this mean, to redeem the time? In, in Ephesians 5.16, the New Living Translation of this, this verse, it says, make the most of every, top, uh, of every opportunity in these evil days. Right? That, that really makes it clear. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Are you doing that? Are you capitalizing on the opportunities that you have in life? Are you making the most of your time? And that's the Amplified Version. It says, make, make, making the most of your time, buy up each opportunity because the days are evil. Have you ever killed time? How about this, have you ever spent time? It's better to redeem the time than it is to spend it. I don't wanna just spend my time. You can spend your time doing a lot of stuff, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're making the most of, opportunity, of the opportunities. When we are redeeming, when we are buying up, when we are making the most of every opportunity, that, that's different than spending time. We're redeeming time. There, there is a huge difference. 
A lot of people just spend time. They're, they're like camped out. They've got grass. We've heard that expression, right? Grass growing under their feet. They're living lackadaisically. They're not really going anywhere. There's not much happening in their life. I don't believe as Christians that, 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 that that's an acceptable way for us to live. We, we need to live face forward. We, there needs to be a direction about where we're heading. We need to be vigilant. We need to be heading somewhere. We need to be uh, pushing darkness back and extending the kingdom of light. That, that's what we're here for. I believe this is the way that Jesus lived. Jesus lived his, his life in a way where he made the most of every single opportunity. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was working to finish the work that the Father had given him to do. It needs to be our posture, our position. And this is in context to the harvest and time. He says, do not say that there are four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Right? How many of you have said, I'll do that tomorrow? Somebody said, tomorrow is the devil's time. Today is God's time. Right? You know, all of the admonishments of Scripture say, today. Right? While it is called today, encourage one another. Over and over again, the Scripture talks about doing it today. When's the best time to witness to that person that you've had a burden on your heart for? Today. Well, I'll do it tomorrow. There may not be a tomorrow for them or for you. Right? I'm, I'm going to take care of that thing that I've been procrastinating to today. The best time to take care of it is today. When's the best time to pray? When it pops into your mind. Amen. Right? Make, make that your practice. When, when, when people pop into your mind, make that the moment. Don't, don't say, I'll call them tomorrow. I, I do that, and you know what I do? I forget to call them tomorrow. Send the text while they're on, on your mind. Send the email while they're on your mind. Make the phone call while they're on your mind. Do the task while it's on your mind. Don't procrastinate. Don't put it off. But we should be diligent. I believe Jesus lived in a, a way that was diligent. He said, don't, don't say that there's four months and then the harvest is coming. Lift up your eyes. It's harvest time right now. That's the message that Jesus Declared to his disciples, and it, it's true, what that, that statement there is just as true today as it was the day that he said to his disciples, this is the season of harvest. This is the season of bringing in the harvest for God's kingdom, right? And we can't procrastinate. We, we have to live like Jesus, who said, my, my food, my sustenance, my meat is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to finish the work he has given me to do. We need to live with that kind of a mentality. We need to live with that kind of urgency. Jesus lived life with urgency. We're going to look at this. This is just the posture of Jesus' life. And in, in the, 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 the gospel of uh, Matthew, the word immediately, depending on what translation you use, the word immediately is there eight to 11 times. It's an important word in the Gospel of Matthew. However, in the Greek, in the Gospel of Matthew, the word euthus, it actually appears 41 times. This is the, the same word that's translated immediately. Sometimes it's translated in Matthew as straightway. Other times it's translated as just then. 
But this word that, that has this urgency, this meaning of immediacy, is mentioned 41 times in the Gospel of Matthew in relation to the way that Jesus lived his life. Jesus lived with immediacy, with urgency. There was was a fire burning. There was a passion that drove him. Remember the statement, I've set my face like a flint towards Jerusalem. There was a purpose of God in Jerusalem, and he was set face forward towards that. He had a posture like like somebody who was ready to start a race. There are things in my life that that I I, I believe God's called me to do. There's this urgency. Some things that that, it's not, and there are seasons. There are times for things. But there's an urgency for me to see these things accomplished. I I can't wait. I live, whenever somebody mentions it, 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 I, I perk up. Something starts firing on the inside of me. When people start talking about the things that I believe God's purpose for me to do, I get excited. Like my adrenaline, my, the Holy Ghost fires up on the, I, I'm ready. Let, let, come on, you, you want to do that? Let, let's go, let's go. You don't have to ask me twice. Right? We need urgency. We need to live life with immediacy. Just to give you a couple of examples of this, in Mark chapter 1, verse 12, it says immediately, this is right after Jesus' baptism, it says immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Is there an urgency that drives you? We see this all through the Gospel of Matthew. There was an immediacy, there was an urgency that by the Spirit of God drove Jesus towards the purpose of God. Matthew, or Mark chapter 6, verse 45, it says, Immediately he came, I'm sorry, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. So that's just a couple of examples where Jesus did things immediately. It was also the response of the disciples throughout this book. We see that in, in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 17 through 18. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets, and they followed him. There was an urgency to their, in, in their answer to his call. Like, like, if I don't just drop the nets right now, Jesus is going to leave me behind. Right? Some of us are, are hanging on to some stuff that we need to drop and, and respond with, with urgency. Some of you are holding on to some things vocationally, time-wise, whatever it is, but there are some things that you're holding on to that are hindering you from coming into the purpose of God for your life. There are things that we hold on to that keep us from answering the call of God. I've said it and I want to drive the point home. We are all called of God. Every one of us in this building that named the name of Jesus Christ, if you are a disciple of Jesus, there is a purpose of God written over your life for you to fulfill. And I want to say this, the time for that calling is sufficient. Jesus lived with this sense upon his life that there was an urgency of the purpose of God. There was an urgency about the way that he lived his life on planet Earth. In John chapter 9, verse 1, we see it. Jesus passed by, and he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples said, let's have a theological discussion about this. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, 
that he was born blind. Theology can do more to make us paralyzed, apathetic, half-hearted towards the things of God. I'd rather have somebody with bad theology and a passion burning to get a hold of Jesus than somebody who has it all nailed, every line and every jot and tittle of their theology, and they're half-hearted towards the things of God. Because God can sort our theology out. But if we're resistant, if we're apathetic and lethargic, there's not a whole lot that God can do with us. If our hearts are cold towards him, there's not a lot that he can do with us. He passes by this man and his disciples said, Rabbi, who sent this man, his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answers, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God, that the works of God should be revealed in him. Verse 4, he says, I must work the works. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I must work the works of God while it is day. For the night is coming when no man can work. When he's talking about the day, he's talking about this life. As long as I'm alive, I'm the light of the world. But when I die, I'll no longer be able to do the works of God. That's true for every single one of us. There is a work of God for every Christian, every follower of Christ. There is a work of God for you to do. And you have a set amount of time to do it. And the time is sufficient. And maybe you've been slacking all the way up to this point in your Christian walk, but I'm going to tell you that the time today is sufficient for what God's called you to do. In his mercy and in his grace, the time of God is sufficient. See, I believe that there's a God who orders our steps, but he's also the same God that redirects our missteps. So when we, this is the heart of God. When we miss the purpose of God, he's, he is a God of second chances. He's a God of patience. He's a long-suffering God. And when we miss the purposes of God because of our reluctance, because of our half-heartedness, because of our, our, our uh, spiritual myopia and inability to see and understand and discern the purposes of God, whenever we miss the purposes of God, the mercies of God are fresh to us every single day, and he will redirect us back on the path that he's designed for us. I believe that. You may feel over, how many of you, let, let's just do a survey here. How many of you have a call of God upon your life and you feel overwhelmed like there is no way that you can fulfill it? I do. Good. Good. That puts us in a place of dependency, doesn't it? We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own ability. We can't, we can't muster What's needed to fulfill the purpose of God? 
Good. I'm glad that you have that kind of vision. I'm glad that you have that kind of perspective. I, I wish that everybody in this building would have a burden that is greater than they are. A sense that the calling and the purpose of God on your life is greater than anything you can even comprehend or imagine. May God give every one of us that kind of a sense of burden and calling on our lives. God calls every one of us as his followers to do things that are way, way beyond us. I believe that. I believe that God's called me to do things that I cannot possibly, in my ability, with my wisdom, with my understanding, with with my giftings, accomplish. I believe that for every one of us because they are the works of God. God wants to work with us to build his kingdom on planet Earth. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who has sent me. Are you living with an urgency that says, I must work the work that God has called me to? Most Christians suffer from spiritual atrophy. We understand the terminology, atrophy. It's it's a medical terminology. It is the gradual decline in effectiveness or vigor due to underuse or neglect. I used to have a six-pack but now I have atrophy. <laughs> when I was 16, 17 years old, the only thing I did in life was work out and play football, run track. I spent about six or eight hours a day training, running, lifting weights, practicing with my quarterback. I went to f- football camps, I ran summer track, you name it. When I, when I was a senior in high school, I was top five in every bench press, power clean, squat, pull-ups, sit-ups, push-ups, you name it. I was, I was top five in all of it. I, I, I was lifting with linemen. I was doing squats and bench press with our linemen because I, I, I put that much into it. Fast forward. Let's see, how many years ago was that? 29 years later, and I've been to the gym about four times in those 29 years. I, I played my last football game at the age 39. Thank you to my fan club over here. <laughs> Does so much for your esteem when your life, wife is laughing at your athletic abilities. <laughs> we had an alma mater football game. And we got, we got to play another high school that was in our district. And I, I ran and worked out for about six weeks getting ready for this. And I remember we went to a football practice before the game. And my quarterback was, was on our team. And we, most of our team was made up of our, you know, our alumni from our high school that had just graduated high school. And most of the other team was guys that had just graduated high school. And most of these guys had played college football. And then me. And my, my quarterback from high school, and we're, I'm, I'm, I'm 39, I think he's 37 or 38 at this point. And this, this guy had a rocket arm. He was six foot six. He was a strapper. He ended up, he played, he started, I think, four years at Angelo State in, uh, in West Texas. He, he was a great, great athlete, great quarterback. And he had this rocket arm. And when we were in high school, I mean, he would air that thing out. And I would just kick it in. I, was, I, was, I, I trained. I was a track guy. 
Uh, I was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty fast for a white guy. I would run under the football. Kick that extra gear in. How many of you remember that extra gear? So when I'm, I'm 39 years old, and we're at practice, and he airs out that first bomb, and I see it flying, and I go to kick it in, and it don't kick in. <laughs> Evidently, that gear has atrophied. It's the gradual decline in effectiveness or vigor due to underuse or neglect and old age. Atrophy. Christians with atrophy. We got spiritual muscles we're supposed to be using that we don't use, and so they're. It's the picture. How, how does this come about? Spiritual atrophy is the result of a sedentary spirit. Let me say that again. Spiritual atrophy is the result of a sedentary spirit. What's a sedentary spirit? Sedentary spirit is the spirit that allows the grass to grow under your feet. Sedentary spirit is what I experience when I tell myself I'm going to get into a workout routine and the alarm clock goes off and I say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lay in bed this morning and get up just in time to go to work. That's a sedentary spirit. We, we have to move to stay alive. We have to move to be active and relevant. A sedentary spirit steals our time. Because of inactivity, I could not perform the way that I wanted to perform. Medically provable fact, people who are sedentary are moving towards their death at a much more rapid pace than those who are active. I heard a pastor, Pastor Larry Stockstill, he's, he's probably getting up to in his 70s these days. But I heard him say he started, he, his doctor talked to him about atrophy. And he said, if you don't, if you don't start doing something, your body's going to begin to decline. And he started doing 100 push-ups every single day. He's up in his 70s now, and he's doing 100 push-ups every single day. I, I don't even know if I could do 10 today. Right? There, there, there's a truth. When we begin to use, stop using this body the way that we should, getting exercise, having activity, we're moving towards a death. We have to move to stay vibrant. We have to move to be alive. We, we have to be moving and active to be relevant. That's a reality. A sedentary spirit robs us. Spiritually, so many of us have 
a sedentary spirit. We need to get up and get moving. Amen? We're going to talk about it. We need to live with an attitude to finish. I talked about this during the offering time, but Paul admonishes the Corinthians. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 11, you should finish what you started. God, God's given us all work to do. We need to finish it. Some of you started giving and you've stopped. Some of you used to pray and you stopped. Some of you used to witness and you stopped. Some of you used to serve and you stopped. Finish what you started. Let the eagerness, some of us need some eagerness that you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not to what you don't have. This is just an encouragement to finish. And actually, there's these encouragements all throughout Scripture to finish. How about the Apostle Paul when he comes to the end of his life? He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. He had a course that was set by God, and he said, I am coming to the place I can see the finish line. Every one of us are set on a course by God for a purpose, and we need to finish well. That takes starting eagerly, and it, talk, it takes a continuation, a faithfulness, a perseverance, right, to finish strong. In, in Psalms 90, verse 12, David says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This isn't a message about time management, but time management and the way that we take care of the time that God has allotted to us says a whole lot about how wise we are. This is the second verse that we read today that talks about time and wisdom. Right? Wise people take care of their time. Wise people take care of their time. What, what does this mean? Teach us to number our days. See, none of us in this room, and, and I heard that there's actually this guy that thinks that he can uh, take your blood and your blood pressure and your heart rate and all these things and look at you and tell you the day that you're going to die on. They're trying to develop a system so that they can tell people when they're going to die. See, this is, this is, when it says, teach me to number my days, this is not us saying, hey, God, help me to understand when I'm going to die. Okay, I've got, I've got about 4,000 more days to live, and so I'm going to map it out like this. That's not what it's saying. When it, when it says number there, it's actually an accounting term. It means to count or to reckon. What he's saying is, Lord, teach me to be accountable for the way that I spend my time. I, I want to stand before you because we are. One day we are all at the judgment seat of Christ, going to stand before God, and we're going to give account for the way that we have lived our lives. Every day that God has given us, every moment, we are going to account for that. Right? Lord, teach me to number my days, to, to account for the days that I've been given that I can gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, Lord, teach me the value of time. Let, let me not squander the time that you've given. Let me not waste my days on planet Earth. 
Let me be fruitful. Let me finish the works. Let me do what you have called me to do. Church, I want you to understand this today. We bring glory to God by accomplishing the work that he has for us to do. We bring glory to God by accomplishing the work that he has for us to do. How many of you want to live a life that gives God glory? Look at what Jesus says. He says in John chapter 17, verse 4, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. How did Jesus glorify the Father? By finishing the work that he was given to do. Right? That's how he did it. Going back to the passage in John chapter 9. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day and the night is coming when no one can do the work. All through Jesus' life, we see him using this. As you read through the Gospels, you see him using this terminology. I'm going to work while it's day. I'm going to work while it's day. I'm going to work while it's day. And there was an immediacy. There was a pattern and a rhythm to his life. Sedentary people don't have a rhythm. It's just, a, they're, they're blobs. Right? Sedentary, I could be a, a blob on my lazy boy. Watching golf, watching football, watching whatever. Or scrolling the phone. There's no rhythm of life. Not moving forward. There's no sense of accomplishment. There's no sense of purpose. And without purpose, we lose hope, right? This call of God is something that gives us great hope. It gives us great sense of purpose. I want to matter, right? I don't care if people, I don't want to be famous. I don't care if people remember my name. I just want to be faithful with what God's given me. We glorify God by doing the work that God's given us to do. So when when Jesus is hanging on that cross in John 19, verse 30, we read the words, his last last words. What does he say? It is finished. What was finished? The work. The work that God had given him to do. It was complete. It was wrapped up. The night has come. The night's going to come for each and every single one of us. How short is our time? We know the things that we have to offer. We talk about them in the three T's often. Time, treasure, and talent. Are we using our talents to the glory of God? Are we using our treasure to the glory of God? Why do I tithe? Because I want to give glory to God. Why do I tithe? Because I want to see his kingdom extend throughout all the earth. I want the church to be able to function. I want the mission of God to go forward in all the earth. I want to see disciples made. I want to see souls won. I want to see the saints of God equipped. And so I give, right? Bring your tithe in the storehouse that there would be meat in my house. That's a motivator of the reason that I give. But not only that, I want all of my possessions to glorify God. I, I want to be wealthy. 
I, I don't want to struggle. I don't want, when opportunity arises for me to go and do something, for me to not have the money in the bank to be able to do that. And that's the, the battle that we all, we all face that, right? Also, with, it's the same with our, with our time as well. Some of us can't do the, the, the things that we want to do because we don't have the time because we are strapped to so many things. I know, I know people, and it's, 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 it's admirable, I know people that, that are saving their money, they're working extra because they want to move themselves into a position where they'll be free to do what God's called them to do. That's admirable, right? We ought to free up our time to be able to accomplish the purpose of God. I want to use my time, treasures, and talent to glorify God, everything that I have. I, and I don't, I don't just want the 10th to glorify God. I want all that I have to glorify God. We're building a home. We have a vision one day that that'll be opened up in some way where we bring people in and build a community to plant another church and reach more people and make more disciples. We got a space in our home that one day we want to see as a coffee shop where people will come in and there'll be Bible studies going on. Maybe a college group meeting there, maybe a seniors group meeting there, maybe a men's group or a women's group meeting there on different days of the week. Out on our deck that one night we may be able to put a band up there and do praise and worship and let people gather in and have community. I want everything that I have to glorify God. I want my time to glorify God. How are you using your time? Time is short. Time is short. If I could choose between more money and more time, I'd choose more money, more, more time every single time. <laughs> give me time, I'll make money. If you give me more time, I can accomplish the 18 things I didn't get done today, right? Give me more time. Our time is short. How many of you said, I don't, I don't have time? Don't, let's not raise hands right now. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to go to that Bible study. I don't have time to read my Bible. How many of you have ever felt the pinch, I don't have time for my family? Listen, if you've ever made any of those statements, I don't have time for my family, I don't have time to read the Bible, I don't have time to pray, I don't have time to go to church, if you've ever made any of those statements, you're too busy. That's a reality. We all have time. My full time is this church. I give full-time plus to doing what God's called me to do here. I've got four kids. Between my four kids, this year I have probably been to more than 30 basketball games. I have an 83-year-old mother. She'll be 83 in June, actually. We, we cleaned her apartment yesterday. Take her to her doctor's appointments go and pick up her prescriptions, 
Once a week, I fill her pillbox with all of her meds. In the last two years, I've remodeled 30, I don't know, whatever the square footage is, over 3,000 square feet. Like gutting it and putting the whole thing back together. That's on top of my kids, my wife. We go out on dates. We usually try to spend at least one day a week together, at least a good portion of that day. I don't always get any of this right. I usually get a lot of it wrong. Part of a minister's fellowship. I connect with those ministers at least once a month on a video connect. I go a few times to those conferences. What's the point, Pastor? I've got all of this stuff on my plate. And I'm, I'm never too busy to pray. I'm never too busy to read my Bible. I pray, study my Bible, watch sermons, listen to sermons, go, go plug in places where I can get teaching every single day. I make an investment into the spirit man that's on the inside of me because I want to grow in my faith. Sometimes it's late at night. Sometimes it's early in the morning. But I've made up my mind. I'm living my life with an urgency. I will accomplish. No matter what challenges, no matter what hardships, no matter what struggles, no matter what time distractors, no matter what challenges, it seems like every single day I don't actually do what I plan to do because things pop up. But I've made up my mind. I'm going to live with an urgency towards the things, the purposes of God. My, my life's ambition is to see God's kingdom established on planet Earth. And no matter what comes my way, I'm going to see that come to pass. We have to live with that kind of determinations. It's time to bring an end to all of our excuses of why we can't fulfill the purposes of God. Well, I've got two jobs. I've got this. I've got that. Brother, we all do. We all are facing this economy. We are all facing this inflation. We are all facing the challenges that, we're, that you are facing, every single one of us. People are following Jesus. People are faithful to the purpose of God. You can do it. It's a matter of the direction of your life. The difference is, are you spending your time or are you redeeming your time? Is life happening to you? Are you living with a sense of urgency? Whatever task there is, I've got to accomplish it. If it's got to get done this week, I'm going to get it done. That's the way we need to learn to live our lives. So much opportunity passing us by. So many things that we're missing in the purposes of God. Life is short. We must work the works of him who has sent us while it is today. While you've got breath in your lungs, we've got to be about doing what God has called us to do. Because the night is coming when no man can work. There's a day coming where you're going to breathe your last breath. We, we've all heard it. You, pastors, they, they, I've heard these statements over and over again. I've never heard a man on his deathbed wanting more money. 
If I only had more time with my wife. If I only had more time with my kids. If I could only do more of what really mattered. My, my father-in-law got a terminal diagnosis back last fall. He is living his life with vengeance. There's an urgency. My wife is spending time with him. She talked about this vibrancy and this joy that he's living life with. She said, I've never seen him like this. What is that? It's a fresh understanding that, hey, this thing is precious, and I'm going to live it to the max. I was driving, to, to, I think, to Texas back in November somewhere. I was driving, September, I think it was, and talking to my father-in-law, it was just a few weeks after he had got this diagnosis, and I, I got to sit there on the phone with him for about an hour and a half while we were driving down the road, and he was talking about what really matters in the church. There was a liberty and a freedom for him to openly speak. If, if, I, if I could go back and do this whole thing over again, this is where I would focus. May we all live with that kind of an urgency, that kind of a reality, because we realize, that, hey, we're, we're all living on borrowed time. The days are evil, and I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to buy them back. I'm going to make the most of every single opportunity. I can't let the grass grow under my feet. I can't get caught up in meaningless, trivial hobbies and activities and entertainment. I started playing golf. It's golf with a purpose, honestly. I know I need some exercise, and I get to do great relationships with people. I get to hang out with friends. I get to hang out with my kids. It's a great investment of my time. Everything with purpose. I believe this is the way Jesus lived his life. There's a beautiful picture. I love this, and I'll wrap up. I'm off my notes now. I'm out of notes. I'm still preaching. There's a beautiful picture of Jesus. I believe, I believe it's in Luke chapter 5. It's around verse 17 and 19, somewhere in there. Three, three verses. In the first verse, it says that these people are coming and making demands on Jesus' ministry. You know what his response to that was? The next verse, the Bible says he slipped away as his custom often was, to pray. What do you do when life gets demanding? Jesus moved towards the purpose of God. He went to be alone with the Father. How many of you feel like the demands of life are going to overwhelm you? I'm talking about finances and family and ministry and you name it. It's overwhelming. Right? This is the rhythm. They're making demands on Jesus. Life making demands on us. Your ministry making demands on you. How do you respond to that? Get away and go pray. Verse 1, first verse, I think it's verse 17, the demands. Second verse, his response. He went away to pray. He didn't give in to the demands. He went to pray. Third verse, Jesus returns to the crowds, and the Bible says the power of God was present with him to heal.
if we let this world set the cadence of our life, the rhythm, of, determine how we're going to spend our time, we will come up short when those demands come to us. If we learn to live with urgency, it's, it's, really, it's really Matthew 6.38, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else is going to fall into place. I'll take care of everything if you'll just seek my kingdom. If you'll give your time, treasures, and talents, I'll take care of all of it for you. And when you need it, there'll be power there. If we neglect the things of God, we will come up empty every single time. Let's stand together. Time is short. Time is short. How are we going to spend our time? I want, I want to see revival just as much as anybody in this room. But revival will not come without consecration. You study every revival movement in the history of our planet. In every single one of them, you'll find a person or a people who consecrated themselves to God. The Hebrides Islands. Go and study the Hebrides Islands. G. G. Campbell Morgan, the Hebrides Revival. G. Campbell Morgan went. He was, he was in London, England, preaching the largest convocation, the largest conference of that day. He was at Keswick preaching this big conference. His daughter walked into his study at this hotel where he's at, and he said, his daughter said to him, Dad, why does not God move the way that he used to move in your meetings? His daughter's words put him under conviction. He got down on the floor and began to pray and call out to God, and God said, leave this conference. He's preaching to the largest conference of the day, thousands of people, and God said, leave right now. Don't wait, leave. The Lord directed him to get on a, a boat and go across from Scotland over to the Hebrides Islands. And when he landed at the port there, there were two old ladies who had been praying. Two old consecrated women who'd been calling out and asking God to send revival to their island. When, when he got off the boat, they said, Brother, Brother Campbell, they never had sent a message to him. He'd never received any, any word. When he gets off the boat, they said, Brother Campbell, we've been waiting for you to arrive. We have a place for you to stay. These two old ladies hosted him in his home, and he went to this chapel, and revival broke out that turned the Hebrides Islands upside down. Such a revival that they closed the bars down because they couldn't afford to stay in business anymore. What's the point? It starts with people of consecration. If we want to see it, we need to steward our time. We need to get into the Word of God. We need to get on our face before God. We need to begin to pray. We need to begin to fast and seek the face of God. It's time, church. I want to open up the altars to anybody who wants to come down and spend time with the Lord. You're dismissed if you need to go, but I encourage you, come and pray and spend time down at these altars and let the Lord minister to us today.